Let me make sure I'm on. <laughs> that music was so somber. <laughs> so guess what? You get extra points today because it's raining and we lost an hour of sleep and y'all said, I'm going to church. So extra points in heaven. <laughs> Maybe that won't hold up, but it sounds good, right? <laughs> you know, I, some of you may wonder, does prayer really work? And the answer is yes, and you are sitting in the midst of an answered prayer. Because years ago, Dennis and I had a vision to be in the city and to be a light in the city. And we prayed and we searched, we looked at buildings, and we, you know, the Bible says the vision is for an appointed time. And over and over again, it was kind of like, no, it didn't sit, it didn't sit. And we had some people that helped us get it started. But when things really took off was when God sent us Mo and Kendra. So I hope you love your pastors and esteem them. Because we sure do. <laughs> and then, look at God because where are we going to go? And it felt like so many doors were closed. You have no idea how many places we looked at. And you know, you can never force the hand of God, but you can't sit in it. <laughs> and so we did. And doesn't it make sense? When I drive down here now and I look at all of the buildings that are going on, and these are not office buildings, these are homes, and how God saw fit to put us here, and we are here waiting on them. And as they come, the provision is here which is so cool and so like God. So you all are here as a result of prayer. It wasn't coincidence. It wasn't accident. It's called divine appointment. So thank you for your obedience to be here. And I hope you are locked in here. I hope you get locked into this family and find your place in the body so that you can help us do kingdom business right here where it's so needed and the light is going to get lighter as the darkness gets darker. This we know, right? So let me ask you a question. Do you sometimes feel like God is asking a little too much of us? Like when you read the word of God, you're like, come on, are you serious? Like really, you think I can, I can be that way? I can do that? I mean, it certainly is a challenge when we read the Beatitudes which we're studying right now and we, we look through this and let's go ahead and read this and tell me if this is not a challenge, if he's not raising the bar for us. Matthew 5, verses 3 through 7. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And then we're going to hit this today. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, if you think this isn't a challenge for you, let's go back to when Jesus said these very words and the people that were sitting in front of him. I mean, this group, all they knew was the Old Testament law. All they knew were rules and regulations, and all they knew was failure trying to keep those rules. So can you imagine how it landed with them? I bet their eyes were open like, are you even serious? 
Because here's why Jesus had the boldness to do this. Because he was inviting them to step out of the old covenant and step into a new covenant, a relationship with him. Because that's how it would be possible. A covenant that wouldn't be written upon tablets of stone, but would be written upon their hearts. He wanted to change their hearts. He wanted to change their perspective and their motives. And what he was saying is, this is how God thinks about you, and this is how he wants you to think about others. And the number one thing that Jesus wanted to make evident as he's reading all of this, as he's declaring all this, is God loves you in spite of all of your flaws and failures. You see, talking to them about being merciful, all they knew was being merciful out of an obligation. And Jesus was saying, guess what? As you change your perspective, you're going to be merciful out of overflow, not out of obligation. And I think that what Jesus wanted for that group, he wants for us right here, right now. Amen. He wants us to really understand and grasp what it means to be blessed. So let's look at John chapter one because this is an important shift for us to understand. He says in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. That was the old covenant. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So these two things are so powerful and they, they are meant to work together. And this is the struggle I see today with the church is the balance of grace and truth. I see some churches, and this might be more true of the olden days, when I was young, <laughs> where these churches were just, you know, fire and brimstone pre preachers. Because grace without truth, you know, is a gospel of toleration. It says, whatever, but truth without grace is a gospel of judgment. And so he doesn't want us to be on pendulum swings. He wants us to be in the center and understanding how they work together. So right in the midst of grace and truth is mercy. So let me kind of simplify the definition for us from the beginning. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You know, like when you get pulled over by the policeman for speeding, he comes up to the window, you hand him all your paperwork, hopefully you got it. <laughs> then he goes back to the car to make sure you're not an axe murderer, right? And you're sitting in the car, and what are you doing? You might be looking cool on the outside because people are driving by, you're like, whatever, I got this. But on the inside, you're like, have mercy on me, God, that's gonna be a big ticket. And then when he comes up to the car, he hands you everything back and says, this time, it's a warning. And you're like, oh. <laughs> That's just a little example of mercy, right? <laughs> Basically, the thing about mercy, the thing that distinguishes it, is mercy has to do with suffering. Mercy looks at humanity and says, I don't want you to suffer. You see, God doesn't want us to suffer eternal damnation, nor does he want you to suffer in sickness. He doesn't want you to be tormented now. 
That's what mercy is. In fact, let's look at Psalms because David understood this. I want us to read this in Psalm 103 where he says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our th sins. <laughs> Thank God for that. Nor has he punished us according to our iniquities. This is a good God, isn't he? For, for as high as the heavens are from the earth, so great is his mercy toward us. There's no gap in the mercy that he wants to give us. And then he goes on and he says, so great is this mercy. And as far as the east is from the west, you know the east and the west never meet? So as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children. You know, for us to fully appreciate something, we have to experience it first. And think about how merciful God has been to us. It's a good thing for us to understand this and look at it this way because, you see, God doesn't want you to remember your sin, but he does want you never to forget how much you've been forgiven of. It's a different perspective. How great is his mercy? And this mercy needs to be in operation in our lives. You know, we have one wonderful daughter. She's a miracle. And she is, has been such a joy to raise, and now she's a wife and mama of, I get three grandbabies, it's the best. Wait till you join that club. Makes it worth getting old. And uh, she was always a joy. But there was one day, we call it the day from hell. And uh, by the way, I have her permission to share this. <laughs> Lauren had been just transferred to a public school. She was a sophomore. And it was Valentine's Day. And that night, she came down to us and said, Mom and Dad, I need to talk to you. There's something I need to tell you. And any time a child says that to a parent, the imagination goes wild, right? Oh, dear, what are you going to tell me? So she sits us down and she tells us the story. That that day, she had gone to school on the bus, and she had gone out with a bunch of friends, a new group of friends, she's new in the school. And one of the guys that kind of liked her, they, went, they all went to this mall, this group. They went to this Hispanic mall that was closed, and they somehow got in. And he decided to steal a teddy bear to give it to her. And then she got her belly button pierced. Like I said, a day from hell. <laughs> You're like, well, I got a belly button piercing. That's fine. You're not my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and then she had gone back to school and ridden home on the bus. We would have never known. But the conviction was so heavy on her, she couldn't keep it from us. By the way, Mom and Dad, you know how to keep your kids holy? Pray the conviction of God on their lives. That they would be so uncomfortable in sin that they have to tell you the truth. And so she's telling us this whole story, and she's, it's obvious she's like, oh, she's crushed by her decisions. 
And Dennis and I are looking at each other, and she's like, I know. I should be grounded for a month. And she's, you know, this is what I should do to pay for my sin. <laughs> and Dennis says, Lauren, look at me. He said, that's not going to happen. He said, you need to understand what mercy feels like. And right now, we're going to give you mercy. You see, she had confessed to us. We didn't find out, right? And she was broken over her sin. There was no need for anything more. What was needed was mercy. And when he said that, she lost it. We lost it. We all lost it. <laughs> and I want to tell you that that was a, a moment that really transformed her and us. Because here is the point of mercy. Mercy is for those who see their need for it. And I think all of us need to daily remind ourselves that we need his mercy. And to be grateful because it's so important in our lives. So what does being merciful look like? You know, mercy follows Jesus as the model. Jesus is mercy personified. And I want us to dive into this in the scriptures. And before we do this, can I just say something to you about the word of God? Because I know there are a lot of deliberation, discussions going on, deconstruction of the word, and people are struggling with, is this word true or not? Can I give you a suggestion? Stop scrutinizing the word to search for flaws and start searching the word to find Jesus. Because this is where I met him. I met him in the word. And when you read the gospels, watch Jesus. And we're about to do this. So as we talk about this and unpack what mercy looks like, number one, mercy draws us near. And let's watch Jesus in action in Matthew chapter 9 in verse 10. Because we see something taking place here that's pretty amazing. Because he is going around the city and the towns, and now he's at Matthew's house. And as he goes there to have dinner, all of a sudden, all these disreputable people come and join him. And the Pharisees see it, and when they saw him keeping company with all of these people, they had a fit, and they lit into Jesus' followers. And they said, what kind of example is this for your teacher acting like this and spending time with crooks and misfits? But Jesus overheard them. And what does he say? He says, you know what? Who needs a doctor but those who are sick? The healthy don't need a doctor, it's the sick. And he says to the Pharisees, go figure out what this scripture means. Because he was really trying to help them not be so judgmental. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite the outsiders. I'm not here to coddle insiders. So let's look at a comparison here because the Pharisees exuded judgment and they repelled people. In fact, when they would walk through the streets, people would get out of their way. They didn't want to be anywhere near them because judgment makes you feel rejected. And they were exasperated that Jesus is spending time with all these disreputable people. But before we judge the Pharisees, did you see what I did there? 
We need to understand that it is so easy to adopt a judgmental attitude. The Pharisees were judgmental, off-putting, and repelled. Jesus is merciful, and it attracted people. It drew people to him. But it's so easy. We can all jump into this, get sucked into this vortex of judgment. In fact, even his disciples did it. In fact, there was a time when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he passes by Samaria, and he sends a few of his team members in to find a place for them to stay. And there's one little passage in the Bible that says, one little sentence that says, they did not receive him because he was on his way to Jerusalem. I don't know, maybe they, they got offended because it's like, what are we, chopped liver? You're not coming to Samaria. You know, I said that with like an Italian mafia person for some reason. <laughs> And so the disciples come out, tell Jesus about it, and look at what they say in, verse, in chapter Luke 9, verse 54. It says, Lord, do you want us to, you know, like Elijah, do you want us to call down fire on these people that it would consume them? Is that what you want? Doesn't that sound good? They really thought they were saying the right thing. But he turned and rebuked them, and he says, hey, you don't know what spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. This rings in my ears. Every time I want to be judgmental, do you know what spirit you're of, Colleen? Do you know what spirit you're of, church? Do you see how easy it is to step in to judgment. See, the Pharisees haven't gone away. They died, but we have modern-day Pharisees. They're in the form of preachers, politicians. What do you think the cancel culture is? It's a bunch of Pharisees who say, you don't agree with me, I judge you, I cut you off. It's a pharisaical spirit. You see, rather than calling down fire, we need to be calling upon mercy. Because the provision is in place for mercy. Look at Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22. I love this. Look at this scripture. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. <laughs> His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. So this morning, my dog likes to kiss me and wake me up in the morning. Maybe you have a cat. That's not what woke you up. It wasn't the alarm that woke you up. What woke you up was fresh mercy. Every morning, every single morning, 100% guaranteed. His mercy is new every morning. Why? Because we're going to need it. We need new mercy. You know, it's kind of like if you walk into any building, there is something that is required to be in the wall every so many feet. In fact, it's right there, the fire extinguisher. And on it, it says, break glass in case of need. You see, the provision of the fire extinguisher is to put out fires. 
The provision of mercy is to put out the fire of judgment. It's there for us. It's there for us to receive. And it's there for us to grab and use for others. We're not to call down fire. We're to call down mercy. So I want to go back to Matthew's house for a minute because I want you to really see, and we're going to look at a different translation, where Jesus is sitting there and all the people are coming. And let's go back to this in Matthew chapter 9 and see where Jesus is saying to them exactly everything. When Jesus heard them, when he heard what the Pharisees said, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. He came for the seekers of mercy. That's what he was looking for. You know, he didn't come for those who considered themselves to be righteous, who didn't feel like they needed a savior. He came for the wicked, the despised, the outcasts, the sinful, the untouchables those who understood that they needed mercy. And we need to carry that understanding with us because that's what keeps us from being judgmental. How does he view us? You want to see the viewpoint of mercy? I love this. Look at this. They were wicked, but what does he call them? Does he refer to them as wicked? No, he says they're in need of healing. Jesus will never label you but he will address your need. He will address your need because he sees your need. If there's any label Jesus wants to put on you, it's son and daughter. That's what he wants to label you. And so that's how he, how does he treat us? It's right here. It's the expression of his mercy. He's trying to help these Pharisees like go and learn what this means. I'm going to prioritize mercy 100% every single time over judgment. I don't want sacrifices. I want you to show mercy. And you know what? We need to go and learn what that means too. So if you think about your life, your workplace, how do people respond to you? How are you showing up at work? Are you repelling people because you're exuding judgment or do you draw people because you exude mercy? There's a change on the inside in the way we view people that will alter how people view us. Because mercy is a state and attitude of our heart. And as we adjust that, you watch that if it doesn't change what happens around you. I believe the fragrance of Christ is mercy. Number two. Mercy loves in spite of sin. Mercy is the outworking of love after all. You know, you think about the moment when Jesus encounters the woman who was caught in adultery. She was caught, right? And we know what happens there. He says, you know what? If you're without sin, throw the first stone. All of a sudden, everybody leaves, and it's just the two of them. And he says to her, where are your accusers? She says, they're gone. And he says to her, listen to what he says. He says, neither do I condemn you, because Jesus could have condemned her. He could have stoned her. But he says, neither do I. 
And then he says, go and sin no more. He called her action sin. He didn't say, look, I get it. You were just living in your own truth. You were just living out your truth. You are just living your best life. Uh-uh. He said, honey, that was sin. Go and do it no more. So here's what I see and what concerns me about the church. You know, there was a day where the pendulum was over here, a lot of judgment, a lot of condemnation, a lot of shame being put on us from pulpits. But now I think we swung it the other way. And now we tolerate sin. Mercy doesn't tolerate sin. Mercy loves in spite of sin. That's why there is a real throne right now in heaven. And on that throne is the seat. And that seat is called the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat right now, this is reality, not a fairy tale. There is the blood of Jesus. Because we need mercy. And so we have a choice right now as those who call themselves believers in Christ. We can lower the standard of God's holiness so that he's more attainable for us. Or we can open ourselves up for him to search us and remove the air and strip it from our minds and search his word to find out what he really wants. That's our choice. Every single one of us has the choice. You see, God is merciful, and God is holy, and God is righteous, and God is just. All of those things. So whatever interpretation of being merciful we have, it must include all of those attributes. You see, you do yourself no service if you lower your standard of God and make him less holy in your eyes because you still have a gap between what you believe and what is reality. And if you lower the standard and say to yourself in lifestyles that you know are not what he wants you to live, and you say, ah, God's okay with me, you're gonna find lots of preachers that support that theology, but heaven doesn't support it. And what you're gonna find is when you need his power, you can't get it. Because every time you make God less holy, you make him less powerful. You do. Are we doing this thing because it's easy? Are we doing this thing because we absolutely love him and know that he gave his life? It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ Jesus who lives in me. And the life that I now live is the, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Galatians. That's my life scripture. <laughs> See, you're looking at a girl <laughs> who is a party queen. And when I didn't get saved until I was 25, and man, when Jesus touched my life, he healed me of so many things. He jerked the slack out of me. <laughs> and I prayed this very dangerous prayer, and I recommend you don't pray it. <laughs> I knew I had a long way to go. And I said, Holy Spirit, I know that you are here to do two things, to convince me of God's love for me as a daughter and convict me 
of my sin. Both of those things. So I invite you to bring a level of conviction in my life. And boy, does he answer that prayer. I don't get away with nothing. I mean, I get a bad attitude and he's like, hello. But I'm okay with that. Because I understand what I really want. He paid the price for me. If this is the price I pay to be uncomfortable when he points out my sins, so be it. So be it. It's fine. Because Jesus is astounding. In fact, I want to show you the most astounding example of mercy I have ever seen in my life. And it's Jesus on the cross. And he's looking down at all of the people who had put him there, who are jeering at him, spitting at him, saying things to him about him. His mother's standing there watching all of this. And the guards are gambling for his clothes. Whoa. And he's in excruciating pain. And what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Now, I remember reading this and I wanted to argue with Jesus and go, ah, hold on. That was premeditated murder. Are you kidding me? They knew what they were doing. And here's what he said. He said, there is a lack of comprehension in the enormity of their evil because of deception. Here's the way the devil plays us. He gets us deceived about the cost of sin. So we go in and we do it. Then he deceives us about the consequences of sin. This is why deception, like you just don't see it. And when I heard that, I came to a realization of something that I had struggled with for years and years and years. When I was nine years old, I was molested by a cousin, somebody that I had looked up to greatly, like a big brother. And when it happened, the ramifications, which most women that would stand up here and tell the same story, happened to me as well. First of all, you feel shame and and responsibility. Even nine years old, I felt I was so shameful. I didn't tell anybody. I never told anybody. In fact, I was writing about this in my book on resilience, and I didn't name, I said, a friend of the family. It's one time it's okay to lie. (laughs) And I had two sisters call me. They're like, Colleen, what in the world? What is this? I never told anybody because of shame. And yet, I carried the wound because I thought, one day he's going to apologize to me. And that one day never came. And then I get saved, and I'm I'm reading this, and I'm seeing this, and I'm seeing how this applies to that situation. It It was a revelation that helped unlock the pain of what somebody else did for me, to me, because of what someone else had done for me. And so I just began to do it. I said, Lord, have mercy on him. Have mercy on him. Have mercy on him. And I, want it. I cannot explain the why, but I can tell you what happened. You see, when you call out for God's mercy for someone else, it's as if it comes through you because you're the vessel and you get cleansed and it gets transmitted to them. 
You see, when we call out for God's mercy, it doesn't say what they did was okay. What it says is, I don't want them to suffer for what they did. And we match the heart of God. We match the heart of God. You don't worry. There's going to be consequences. Your daddy's got it. But as for the way we're supposed to look at it, and it's perfect for those things that are hard to forgive. When you think, I, don't, I, I can't forgive, guess what? You're deceived just like them. I don't want you to be deceived. I want you to know you have something powerful to tap into, and it's the mercy of God. And you, if you feel like you can't forgive, you call on his mercy. Lord, have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. In fact, some of you are going to need to go home today. And you're going to need to do this. You're going to need to grab hold of this word and act on it. And you watch what happens. Because I will tell you, I had a breakthrough of freedom. Finally, after all those years, calling on his mercy. Now, here's the other cool thing. Because God always puts the cherry on the top. <laughs> so, my family is Catholic. And not many of them have come to ever, set in all of the 30-some years... One person was my dad, which was crazy, because he's the one that didn't speak to me for five years. And the other person was that cousin. And I remember, it didn't even occur to me, honestly. I came up here just to do the announcements. And I'm talking, and I'm sharing the announcements, and I look over, and I was like, oh my gosh. And you know what came up inside of me? Take that, Satan. <laughs> Wow, the mercy of God that we call out for, lest we be deceived, because we need it ourselves, has the power to break deception in somebody else's life. It has the power. This is golden. This is golden. So here's the thing. When we see people in sin, rather than conclude they know what they're doing, every time you do that, you align yourself with the accuser of the brethren. Can I tell you, do not let him occupy any space in your head. He has nothing good to say. But if we align with the heart of Jesus and we say they're deceived, they're deceived, therefore I'm going to call on mercy because forgiveness is an act of mercy. And if you and I begin to approach people through the lens of mercy and not judgment, we are going to be like Jesus. Pure and simple. Number three, mercy yields mercy. Look at Luke chapter six. I love the word of God, don't you? You've probably heard the scripture read before. And most likely, if you've been a church that was like a prosperity church, you've heard this scripture read. But this scripture is not talking about money. Let's read it. And you can tell me what it's talking about. Do not judge others. God will not judge you. Do not condemn others, and God will not condemn you. Forgive others, and God will forgive you. Give to others, and God will give to you. Indeed, you will receive a full measure a generous helping poured out into your hands all that you can hold. The measure you use for others is one that God will use for you. I don't know about you, but I need a lot of mercy. I do. It's so easy to get sucked into judgment. It's what messes up our marriage. 
We judge our spouse so quickly. What if we adopted mercy instead? Because here's the thing I want you to understand. Yes, mercy begets mercy. But we don't receive mercy because we are being merciful. Because it's not our mercy we're giving out. I can't manufacture mercy. In fact, it's because he has given it to us. We've received it and we're releasing it. We're releasing what he gave us. And when we do that, heaven will see to it that we need all the mercy we need is going to come our way. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So how do, we, how do we really know as we wrap this up? How do we really know when we were being merciful? You see, it's kind of a heart posture. It's, it's a perspective. It's, a, it's the way we sense others. So first of all, I, I would say merciful. If we know we're merciful when your need for it, when you know how much you need it, and yet your proximity to it is established in your heart. His mercy is new every morning. I'm going to need it, but it's near me. I can always call upon it. Have mercy on me, Lord. And it ends up being reflected in your attitude to others. How you feel about them, guess what? They're going to sense it. You know you're being merciful when it becomes your default setting, and, and that's not going to happen overnight. we got to pull ourselves. We see how easy it is to judge. We just pull ourselves back into mercy. And we know we're being merciful when it becomes the cry of our heart for the lost. You see, we don't need any more apathetic Christians. We have enough people who just look at what's going on in the world, turns off the news, and just go, isn't that a shame? We need people who look at that and say, you know what? I don't need to take this upon my shoulders, but I need to take advantage of this opportunity and say, God, have mercy on my city. Have mercy. And watch God move. I have one more passage I want you to see in James chapter 2. Because it really sets the standard for us. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And then he says this thing. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now I look at that, I'm like, what does that mean? Like, really, what does that mean? And then I go back to what we read earlier when Jesus was at Matthew's house. He said, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. So how does mercy triumph over judgment? Every time you choose it. Every time you choose when you have an option for judging or being merciful. Every time you choose mercy, mercy just triumph over judgment. Again, and again, and again. Because you lined up with his choice. You think like him. You respond like him. And you're more willing to give mercy to others than you are judgment. Whew. I'm telling you, we can do it. We can do it. And I know this is sobering, but it's also so liberating. You're gonna save yourself a lot of heartache a lot of Tums and antacids. Because <laughs> you're not going to be spun up. 
ask you to choose mercy. Lord, I choose mercy. I choose mercy. <laughs> I choose mercy. So I want to kind of culminate this moment with us because I had this sense that some of us are here and we're still not at the place where we really receive mercy for ourselves. You see, sometimes we get confused. We confuse the conviction of God with rejection. You see, conviction doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good when God shows us what's standing in the way of our relationship. It doesn't feel good at all. And like I told you, I prayed that prayer, and so oftentimes I get spiritual indigestion. So some people mistake it for rejection because you have suffered a lot of rejection, and so you just assume God's rejecting you. No, 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 no. That's conviction. Because see, the people that get mercy are the people that realize their need for it. And I feel like there are some of us that have kind of lowered God's standard so that we can make him okay with us. That's not the way it works, dear heart. He makes you righteous. He makes you okay with him. We gotta get out of the works mentality. We don't need a small Jesus. We need a big Jesus. And so here's what I wanna do. Stand up with me, please. I wanna invite you up here to the altar. If you have been someone that's been struggling to receive God's mercy, because maybe you didn't even realize you needed it, or maybe you felt like what you did, there's not enough mercy, but I already showed you the provision is there. His mercies are new every morning. Psalm 86:15. But you, O Lord, are God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. So I want to invite you, if it's been hard for you to receive God's mercy, or somehow you felt like you're outside of it, or you didn't understand the conviction he was trying to, to, to bring on your life, and you read it as rejection, I want you to respond right now and I want you to come to this altar. Come on, come boldly. If there's even a tinge, respond to it. Don't overthink it, don't overthink it. Just come up here. Don't overthink it. Come on, come on. We love you, thank you. I'm so proud of you, I'm so proud of you. It takes humility to receive God's mercy. This is why some people are apathetic. You're here though, but there's more. There's more of you. <laughs> Come on. Come on. I'll wait you out. His mercy's new every morning. If you're even debating, hello, it's a sign unto thee to come. Okay. Thank you. Hey, this is up here. This ain't about judgment, this is about mercy, okay? There we go. All right, I love you too much to let you sit back there. All right, 
I want you to just do me a favor and I want you to get in a vulnerable position. I want you to put your arms up. Come on. Everybody, put your arms up for me. And let's say this. Heavenly Father, (laughs) you are a good Father and you are a merciful God. And this morning, (laughs) I humble myself in your presence. I come to you in need of mercy. And I know you do not turn me away, but you give me loving compassion. And I receive your mercy to cleanse me, to fill me, and to change the way I see you. To line up with the way you see me. From this day forward, I will be merciful and I will share your mercy with others. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. All right, open your eyes and look at me. Isn't he good? <laughs> Isn't he good? Look at you. Praise God. It kind of boils down to this. His mercy is there. Go get it. Go give it. Bless you. Amen.